Hello everyone, welcome to the Empower Hour podcast. So today we have a beautiful guest, Lily. So Lily is my best friend, but of course there's way more to Lily than just being my best friend. So Lily is an academic foundation doctor in haematology at King's College Hospital London. She's an academic rep of the South London Deanery. She has over nine published research papers and has presented her research nationally and internationally. She aspires to become a consultant in intensive care medicine with a special interest in critical care research and hopes to carry out a PhD along the way. Lily graduated with two degrees last year, and I was there just saying. (laughs) She danced since the age of three as well, but rediscovered dance in medical school and has been with Heels Empowerment since day one. So, yeah, so me and Lily, so a bit more about me and Lil. So we um, we met at our local dance school, and, yeah, we've just been inseparable since pretty much. So we might not be living in the same you know city but you know she's my soul sis and it's such a pleasure to have you here today so thank you so much for coming Lil. Oh my goodness what an introduction I don't think I've ever heard quite an introduction like that. (laughs) Talk about imposter syndrome I think that's the most out of place I felt but also it's weird coming from you as my best friend. Um, As an aside though how amazing is this? The fact that you've got a podcast, you've got all of this going, it's just amazing and it's an absolute privilege to be on it. So thank you so much. I just feel absolutely honoured. This is lovely. You're welcome, babe. <laughs> we can chat as we always do, but now it's an official thing. Yeah, I know. We just <laughs> chat shit always to each other, but now it's just like for you to hear what we're chatting about. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, enjoy pretty much. So I think it would be great for everyone, even though I gave you like that fabulous introduction. I think it would be great for people to know like your relationship with dance and what role that's played in your life. So of course I said you, that's how we met, but I'd love to, I think everyone would love to hear like how, that's had such an effect on your job as well like so how it's had such an effect on your I would say like I found personally that dance has been really helpful to keep my head screwed on in a way yeah um and I think it'd be great for people to know how it has such a great effect on your um like your degree a levels everything so tell us your life Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything. I mean, I think you summed it up there. Um, there's nothing quite like it for your head when you're busy, when you've got lots going yeah. on. I've always come back to dance as something to keep me level and something that I could just switch off. I don't look at my phone. I don't think about anything that's going on outside it, about stressful things. Um, but I think it all stems from taking you back to the beginning. So mum sent me to ballet classes when I was three quite literally to shut me up for an hour <laughs> because <laughs> I um, it was the only hour in the day when I would be completely quiet and stop asking questions um, and being the like inquisitive kid that I was. Um, so yeah, mum sent me to dance when I was three. I absolutely loved it, stuck with it all the way through school and did the classic RAD ballet exams, mm-hmm. worked my way through. Um, kind of got to a stage whereby, and I think anyone who did ballet as a child can relate to this, got to the stage where you either go professional and you're going off to school, you're going to do associates, you're doing everything, or there's not really a pathway necessarily to go down if you're not doing that as your whole life. It's difficult to 
pitch it where you're going to do ballet as as something fun when as you get more advanced as you get older and I think you'll probably relate to that as well like yeah you, totally yeah you did it and, and I did it as you did it as an aside to support your contemporary career yeah um and I did it as an as an aside and something to support my like academic career I think it's been something it got to the stage in ballet where like it would come to exam season and people would not come to class as much mm. because obviously they were focusing on their exams whereas for me I think it was always I'd come to class more I'd Same. make sure that I was there every mm. single evening so that I could have that time to switch off um, and I think it's been a habit that I've got into ever since to be honest it was such a shame that I kind of lost touch with it at the beginning of uni because I think it would have benefited me so much more yeah. um, but as we said it you went off to dance school in London yeah I went off to uni um and at the age of 18 there wasn't really that space for me to be creative and to keep going to dance alongside what could be a difficult schedule and then when you set up Heels Empowerment in what was what was the year 20 2019 yeah. yeah 2019 started off small we were in Cardiff yeah. Vale College God. and you were like oh Lil I'm gonna do a heels class and I was like oh my goodness here we go I don't know <laughs> if I can dance in heels I've only done ballet before but I'll give it a go I want to come and support, support you me. yeah exactly absolutely yeah. um and the rest is history really um I attribute it to like lots of my professional success um getting me through difficult times in my life there's been tricky times over the last couple of years and it is just, I can't find anything like it for my head, really. I think mm. it's just fantastic. And being connected to the community of the pe- of yeah. people it has connected me to. Like, first of all, you, but like all these fantastic girls that come to class, um, contacts and ballet, mm. like, it's so nice and refreshing to have friends and a true supportive community outside university, outside your professional life. Like, I can't even begin to explain how valuable it is. and that's why I absolutely love coming back and coming to class sometimes doing class in London if I can around my schedule but it's something of having that physical activity with the music and with other people around you totally there's no there's nothing quite like it I mean I'm preaching to the choir here with you but Uh, there's nothing quite like it I don't think you're so right I think with dance I think that's what is so beautiful about it of course you're exercising but because you're so passionate about it you forget that you're exercising and it is like you said you switch off so much and i think for anyone who's going through you know maybe like you said a difficult time that is the moment where you should be coming because absolutely you just get too absorbed in one thing and it's good to just switch off and have that you time that everyone deserves Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't feel like coming to class sometimes you booked it and you're like i actually can't face it i've had a rubbish day but those are the days you need it the most yeah I would say um, and I'm just so grateful that like at my age now I can still come to class and enjoy it nice. like it's just amazing that I've got it I'm so grateful for my mum to set, sending me to class at the age of three mm. um, and having that yeah your mum danced as well though didn't she yeah yeah so interestingly um, mum was actually accepted to da- ballet school at the same time she got into medical school and her parents wouldn't let her go they were like, I know, mad. They were like, we want you to become a doctor. Um, they, we don't want you to be able to get injured and not be able to dance. We want you to have a career for yourself and all this stuff. And I think she really regrets it. Mm. Um, and it's tricky, but I, I'm glad she had that because otherwise I don't know whether she would have sent me necessarily if she didn't have that awareness of how important it was herself. Yeah. And if I was to have kids, I would definitely send them to dance. Like, yeah. It's done so much for me. 100%, I think probably for your mum... She wanted you to give 
give you all the options as well because mm. yeah your mum is extremely academic and so are you but then having that creativity um i think is so important to be able to like um what's the word to express it yeah and have an outlet a creative mm. outlet i didn't really play an instrument i did a bit of like acting and drama and stuff singing yeah um but that creative outlet is so important I'm not very arty I can't draw for for love nor money um (laughs) but it was it was having something creative on the side and I think it's like and the people I've met and being involved in shows like there's nothing better as a child than you and me getting dressed up and performing oh we had such a blast didn't we yeah in St David's Hall I the one I remember is you dressed up as Elvis stop it why are you why are you telling people this (laughs) I think we'll have to release the photos of that can we cut this out thank you so much (laughs) this is why I don't usually have my friends on here because she's exposed (laughs) Lily's known me for a bit too long so she knows too much about me (laughs) those were the days but no it was just so much fun Uh, like and and we'd spend our Saturdays the whole day at rehearsals we just had a blast didn't we yeah and I think I always say this about Lil is that obviously I know Lily's name is Lily but I always call just Lil so if I'm, I'm going to just keep on saying Lil because yeah. it feels so natural. <laughs> so the thing is with Lil, and I think that this is the beautiful thing about dance, is that we, me and Lil would have never met. And we no. probably wouldn't be friends if it wasn't for ballet or dance. No, I don't think you'll mind me saying we come from very different backgrounds. Very different backgrounds. And I don't think our social circles would have necessarily brought us together. No. If, had we not had that. And that's the beautiful thing about dance is it crosses all kind of social backgrounds, exactly. all levels of privilege. Mm. And I think that it's just that fantastic thing. And I, I also don't think you'll mind me saying that we weren't potentially the typical body type for no. dance when we were in ballet. No, no. Um, and we weren't, wouldn't necessarily be the classic ballerina, that no. kind of thing. Um, but there's still that open space for people of any body type, especially in the dance that we do now. I know it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's so lovely and the confidence that it gives you um, and to be able to be creative, to be able to perform, it's, yeah, amazing. Literally 10 out of 10. I think that's what's nice now is that we can go to dance and we don't have to worry about those kind of pressures Mm. that used to be a thing when we were younger. And I think, yeah, the industry's changed a lot. Like, from a professional, like, point yeah the the industry's changed a lot number one number two we're older mm. so we're embracing our femininity in all different kind of ways yeah and we're all different like we said we're all diverse and that's what's amazing about going to a class not just heels and power to any like adult class is that we're all so different and mm. now it's nice to be able to um embrace us as adults isn't it yeah and we're not there for auditions and that's where no. the pressure from body type comes from yeah. is from auditioning and because it is an aesthetic art there's a specific kind of body shape or something that whoever is auditioning whoever you're auditioning mm. for has that preset yeah. where you won't even get looked at sometimes if you're yeah. not what they think or what they want yeah yeah um we're not there we're there for a different purpose they're there for ourselves yeah, we're not yeah. there to impress anyone else no. and the freedom that that's given me since coming back to dancing is incredible like it, it it's different you're just looking at it from a different yeah. way and I think like correct me if I'm wrong but you've had that in changing from performing to more of a teaching role and Definitely. creating this community yeah yeah because that's what I wanted well I didn't want to I think I've spoken about this on the podcast like I had that 
choice in a way where I was like, right, mm. what avenue am I going down? Is it more performing or is it going to be more the teaching? And I realised my my passion is teaching and to empower women through like the body shape and sizes. Like you don't have to be a certain type of person. Like does, like we said, does my what background you come from, what body shape you are, what skin colour you are, everyone can be there. And I think I realised that, that is actually my passion. Yeah. It's from in a way trauma. And you're so you're so good at it. You're so good at it and creating that environment for everyone. And if you ask anyone who goes to your classes, they'll say it. Like it's just that non-judgmental, welcoming yeah. kind of feel. And that's why everyone keeps coming back. Thanks, girl. You smashed it. Thanks. Well, enough about me, okay? Stop blowing smoke up my ass now, okay? Like, enough right, about me. <laughs> it's not like Lil to blow smoke up my ass. She tells me straight. So we're saying all this. I'm like, this is so weird. No, I mean it. I mean it. It's honesty. Love you. <laughs> so let me just like talk about now you being a doctor. So can you tell me where it all started? Why you wanted to become a doctor, first of all? And where your passion like started yeah yeah of course um I think it came a bit later on than many people in some ways um I also think it's very early within our school lives that we're asked to decide in this country what career path we want to go down (laughs) sitting with a careers advisor at the age of 15 saying what do you want to do is one of the hardest things you can come across I took a careers test I remember I think it was year nine or something and it came out as like I'd be a really good gardener (laughs) (laughs) so I was like oh that's nice I hadn't really thought that before (laughs) I was like oh right okay I'm working really hard in school and they tell me I'm going to be a gardener no disrespect for anyone who's a gardener I think it's fantastic I watched the Chelsea Flower Show with my mum yesterday great did you? I did yeah it was lush hilarious (laughs) but um, it came from I can't ignore the fact that my parents were doctors yeah but saying that, they were always like, don't do it, for goodness sake. Spe- really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know this. No, they were like, don't do it. They f- knew how stressful it was. They knew the pressures. They experienced it firsthand. They were both GPs in the in the South Wales Valleys. And they were like, do something else. Like, use your brain. Like, I was doing well at school. Do something else. But obviously... If your parents tell you not to do something... You want to do it. That's obviously the first thing you're going to do. So I kind of wanted to be a dentist for a bit, did a bit of work experience in dentistry. Um, It wasn't for me. I wasn't practically minded enough. Um, I found it a bit repetitive. Then I was like, oh, I'll do some work experience in medicine because it was offered. Because I always wanted to keep the option open. Yeah. Like, maybe. I am the worst for being really indecisive. Um, and I get bored easily. I think I've heard you, like, during the years, like, yeah. two years I've known you, like, say, well, when you've been talking about being a doctor, like, all these different avenues. But that's what's amazing, I guess, is that there's so many avenues you can take. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very much... I make decisions to keep doors open rather than close them off. And although medicine is considered as traditionally a really vocational career, you go down one pathway, I think that actually the diversity within that career... As a, as a first degree, like, it, it, the day job is so different. I've done three different rotations this year alone in my first year of being a doctor, and each one has been completely different. I'm now working in mental health, I've worked in intensive care, I've worked on the general medicine rota, mm. and each one is so different, and I love being challenged and having a different skill set. So going back to, like, sixth form school, I, I did everything as if... Because it's so, it's so hard to get in, like, the pressures to be able to be accepted in medicine at the age of 18. It's... 
there was like a separate um, lunchtime club for it in school. Like we had to do extra tests. Obviously you have to get the grades, but we had to do the UK cat, the BMAT. You have to go to all these work experiences. You have to oh volunteer gosh. for eight months beforehand. Like it's so competitive that you had to prepare that application. So I always did. Like I, I had my stuff ready for my application, but it wasn't until kind of last minute. I was like, oh, all right, I'll do it. Um, I'm going to chuck the application in. So you only apply to four unis and you have to go through the interviews and everything like that. Um, and I was always of the thought that if I don't get in, it's not meant to be and I might try something else. Um, and then I got three offers and decided to end up to go to Cardiff. And I was like, I can do... Because I was thinking of doing a, a pure science degree. I wanted to do genetics for a while. Um, and I was like, I can actually do that within a medical degree itself. Because I intercalated as well, as you know. I did um, a year's pharmacology yeah. degree. So my dissertation was in genetics for that. Um, but equally, I'm not made to be in a lab. You know how much I chat and I love speaking to people and working with people. You're such a people's person. I'm such a people's person. I could not be a pure scientist. I love science. Every mum loves Lily. <laughs> Every mum who meets Lily, like, she's that, that Lily's lovely, isn't she? And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, everyone, like, everyone's literally like, oh, Lily. And I'm like, but that is you to a T, isn't it? You, you just, you have a way with people, which is something like incredible like an incredible skill to ignore i think it, it comes back to the fact that mum sent me to ballet because i couldn't shut up i love <laughs> a chat like i love a chat and i love getting on with people but also that brings me into negative aspects because i'm also a people pleaser because of I that i know this yes yeah <laughs> and you can relate as well oh yeah we, we both are we always say this we're a sucker for being a people pleaser yeah exactly and i think that can we recognize that can have a negative impact as well because you yeah. can't please everyone no bottom line is you can't please everyone um but yeah i wanted a career that in a challenged me it was different every day because i get bored easily B gave me loads of options, gives me loads of options. So, involves science, because I did scientific A-levels. I literally love chemistry and maths and stuff. Um, and also allowed me to work with people and have that kind of rewarding aspect of things. The, when, my volunteering actually was a big changing point, because I worked with um, the Welsh Spinal Injuries Unit in Brookwood Hospital for eight months. Um, and this is people who've had spinal injuries, so they're um, paraplegic or tetraplegic, meaning that they've lost um, sensation and movement from either like their waist down or potentially their neck down, depending on the level of their spinal injury. And I used to go once a week to volunteer for their like sports clubs. So I volunteered um, doing table tennis with people who've had um, spinal injuries um, and were in wheelchairs. Um, and it was just so rewarding. It was mm. just incredible. And one of the um, patients I worked with just um, went to the Paralympics in Tokyo and won a bronze medal. And <gasps> it was wow. so emotional. Like, that coming full circle for me was, like, yeah. just lush. Like, I can't describe it. And it's, that brings me so much happiness. No one would ever go into medicine for the hours or the pay or anything. But that, you can't really get matched no. elsewhere. That reward and enjoying wow. what you do. So that, for me, that really summed up. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell me more about, like, about maybe your process to, like, where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very early days, really. I've only been a qualified doctor for nearly 11 months? 11, 12, no. Yeah, 11 months, just about. Yeah, almost a year, isn't it? Yeah, almost yeah. a year. Um, so I've ha I went to medical school at the age of 18, um, did that for six years, it was the best time of my life. I found Heels Empowerment during it. <laughs> um, met some gorgeous friends. Went on placement um, all around Wales. Um, 
it was tough, but it was like so much fun. Mm. So, so much fun. And in the year of lockdown, actually, I did my intercalated degree in pharmacology. Um, So that was, I mean, I loved that so much. It allowed me to do research for a year. Um, and I did my dissertation into the genetics of colorectal polyposis, um, which allowed me to learn to code and get really sciencey and geeky and stuff. Um, and it was perfect because it was in lockdown where there was um, sort of barriers on placements and things like that. And I just, I enjoyed it so much. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize I want a career whereby I can do research as well as medicine. Yeah. So that led me to apply in the final year of med school to something called the Academic Foundation Program. So it's basically the first two years of being a doctor is called the foundation program um and the academic foundation program is kind of a a highly competitive selective process whereby you have a job with dedicated research time and that's something i knew i wanted so um i had to spend a lot of time applying for that i had to get publications i had to get presentations of research i had to prove that i was committed to the career essentially um and i had interviews for London and Bristol and I got both offers Ooh. and then I had one, had 48 hours to decide between the two wow. so it was, it was I think I remember yeah this. do you remember I had yeah and Bristol said something like oh no we sent out the wrong offers and retracted them halfway through that's the one yeah I remember yeah and then so I actually only had about 24 hours to choose between oh, the two but by that time Bristol had messed around so much I was like you know what I wanted to go to London anyway yeah um so and I had a chat with my family and they were like no do it you've always wanted to do it it's, it's such a good opportunity you needed that experience I think yeah absolutely away to London. Yeah, yeah and I've loved it I mean I'm halfway through now and it's just amazing like the people you meet and the healthcare you see in London it's so busy it's such a highly populated area with the best researchers and Mm. they're all considered centers of excellence I mean I work in Kings and it's a major trauma center the the medicine that I've seen the people I've learned from is just incredible um Mm. and I hope to probably I'll probably end up coming back to Wales at some point but I want to bring the knowledge that I've gained from that back and I think it's so important to bring that to the table Mm. um and hopefully some of the research that I've got involved with as well. Amazing. So yeah, it's been great so far. So I know this is like future, but with yeah, what you're doing now, is there anything that you think you specifically want to bring back to Wales? Um, is there something that you're passionate about and you feel like is going to come at a later date when you return here? Yeah, I mean, it's quite early days, so it's mm. hard to say. Yeah. Um, but I think just some... So I want to go into intensive care eventually, I think, after doing my ITU job this year. Um, and just seeing some of the uh, techniques that they use and the technology that's used up there, I think that would be great to be trained in and, and bring back to Wales. So, for example, there's one um, piece of technology called ECMO, um, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. It's a long name, but basically it's where you're on a cardiac bypass outside your body right. so your heart it, it's something that's beating your heart and lungs for you wow. essentially and some people get so sick that they need that for longer term because their heart's not working for whatever reason or sometimes it's because their lungs aren't getting the adequate oxygenation that they need um, and at the moment we have to send people across the bridge to centers such as Bristol London the Royal Brompton like loads of different places but I mean the dream would be to be to set up an ECMO service over here or something like it, just bringing those techniques Mm. here so that, and I mean, the problem is, if we're having to send people over the border, that's a delay in them getting treatment. Yeah. So I want to be able to bring that to people. Nice. So they can access that faster. Yeah. And get the same quality of healthcare 
as you can do elsewhere. I think that's what it comes down to the bottom line, isn't mm. it? It's like for everyone to have that same healthcare that we all deserve. Yeah, it's fairness, isn't it? Yeah, fairness. It's, it's equity, it's, it's fairness, it's equal access. And that's something I'm passionate yeah. about. We talked about passion earlier. Yeah. And I think for me, it's that everyone has the same access to high quality healthcare. Mm. Doesn't get better than that. No, I, I totally agree with you. So with working in with the NHS at the moment, mm. how has that been? Has it been stressful at the moment? It's exhausting, yeah. is why I say I'm a tired queen. I would describe myself <laughs> as. Um, I'm tired all the time. I've developed a very high caffeine habit. Um, I, it's hard. It is really hard at times, and I'm not going to shy away from that whatsoever. Mm. It's resource limited, which presents challenges. Um, you can't give people what they need sometimes. Yeah. It, it can be really bad. Mm. And I mean, we've talked about this before, kind of the constraints within which I work for. And I mean, waiting lists are long. There's, there's underfunding in places. So by the pi- time people actually get to the hospital or get to A&E, they're really sick. Like, yeah. it's, it's bad. And it's because of failings of the system. Yeah. Um, it, it's difficult to see. And it's difficult to see my colleagues burning out as well. Yeah. We're all knackered. But all, especially the ones that have been through COVID, they're, they're burnt out. And it's so mm. hard to see. We are exhausted. And it also affects the way that we speak to each other at work. Yeah. Which is hard. Like when people are knackered and when the system is pressuring them, they're going to be snappy down the phone to you at work. Yeah. Which of I get and I understand, but it's not nice to be on the other end of. And I personally find it really hard to know what someone needs, but not be able to give it to them in that resource limited yeah. setting mm. is really hard. But also, the NHS is the most fantastic thing and I love it. Like the fact that anyone yeah. can walk through that door yeah. and get the healthcare that they deserve is something we should be proud of and something I wish we would preserve. Like, yeah. I'm worried about it, but I really about. hope it can continue. Because I did um, an elective placement in St. Lucia in my final year of med school. You know about that. Yeah. It looked great on Instagram, but actually I did do a bit of work in case anyone didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't just sunbathing. She was for quite a bit of it. But anyway, <laughs> the, po- the point was seeing healthcare in a different setting where people would have to pay £200 to get through the door of A&E wow. before getting any treatment mm. and their families were having to sell their homes they were having to fund things and it was so difficult to see because people would wait to the very last minute when they were so unwell yeah. to actually pay this money which could have been prevented if they had yeah. equal yeah. access beforehand of course so that was even harder to see wow. awful like yeah really difficult things Wow. Do you know, I, I actually remember when you came back mm. from St. Lucia and you were telling me about your experience and, like, the poverty and then coming back here. Mm. Of course, like, the NHS is not in a great position right now, but we are fortunate. Yeah. But then at the same time, I don't... I think it is... There's so many pros and cons, I think, mm. put it that way. But I think what's difficult, um, and knowing, obviously, you being my friend is how you get spoken to by patients. Mm. It's, it's very frustrating. Yeah, not all patients. No, but you, but you do sometimes, get your shit. Yeah, yeah, you, you it can be shit. difficult. And it's things that's out of my control. Yeah. And it's not personal a lot of the time. It's not because of me. Mm. It's because of the system. And they said, yeah. we've been waiting here for ages. We haven't had this. Or why hasn't this been done? And sometimes I'm just coming on to shift. I've never met them before. Yeah. But they're angry at their own personal journey. And I don't blame them. Yeah. But it's just difficult when you can't provide that level of care you want to. Yeah. 
So I think that's the frustration, definitely. But I think um, how how do you deal with that after work? Um, well, I like to dance. <laughs> <laughs> or no, I have to just... <laughs> dance it out. Definitely. It helps when I can come to dance or if I can get to like bass or something in London. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, but most, yeah, exercise is a big one for me. Um, like going to an exercise class or going for a run or doing mm. something to switch off. Um, recently, I'm working in mental health and we're doing a mindfulness program funded by the hospital, which is fantastic. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So two hours on a Tuesday morning, we learn to do mindfulness techniques and um, how to implement them into our day-to-day lives, how to cope with difficult emotions. Um, and that's actually been so good. I've always been into mindfulness kind of in lockdown, but more recently, actually doing it consciously when you're busy. And when again, when you need it most. Yes. That's been amazing. Um, and having an incredible support network around me. Like, I couldn't do it without my family and with my gorgeous friends like you. Yeah. Um, and my boyfriend. Like, it's just fantastic to be to be able to talk about stuff. Yeah. And it's so important to you. You can't bottle some of the Gotta stuff Gotta communicate. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think just the basics. It sounds... I'm telling people things they already know, but just making sure I'm exercising, making sure I'm eating, sleeping. Mm. If they're done well, I've got a lot more capacity to cope with tricky things at work. Yeah. And in my personal life as well. Like, it's about having that mental reserve. I love that. Yeah. I think what people would love to hear, I think, the women's health section now. Mm. So, I think we all know... I say the obvious things about women's health, but is there anything from being a doctor that you think is really important that the queens need to know? The queens. The queens need to know. The queens. The queens need to look after themselves. That's the first thing. (laughs) Definitely. Number one. Number one, look after yourself. I'm not an expert in, in women's health. And I'm not going to pretend to be. Yeah. Um, first of all, if, if there is something you're worried about, go and see your doctor. Don't hesitate. Yeah. Go and present yourself to healthcare. We're there to help you. Um, and definitely try and seek help if you need it. Um, I think there's specific things to women's health. I think a lot of them surround awareness. Like some of the work you were doing with Breast Cancer Wales, so mm-hmm. important. Um, something that's affected my family personally. And I think knowing to like self-examine your breasts knowing yes. what to look for that education is so important um things such as pelvic health fertility um is so important um contraceptive health i think there needs to be good education around it people understanding the choices that they have to empower women to make choices about their yeah. health care um but something i feel quite personally about as a kind of clinical academic is the representation of women in healthcare research so I do, it's not as known as some of the other things in, in healthcare, but a lot of the data we base our healthcare on is has got a male bias to it. Uh. So like a lot of the research, not just in healthcare, but in life, women and especially women of ethnic minorities have been left out of, so they're underrepresented. So in a way, the evidence is presented is we're being treated kind of like small men. So... <laughs> Our, when our physiology is is I mean it's it's quite similar in some ways but it's also different with our yeah. hormones and and things sort of going on internally for example like some of the figures that I had were so women are 47 percent more likely than men to be injured in a car crash and that's due to car safety tests being carried on using a, like a standard male crash dummy so wow. we're disadvantaged because of the way things have been tested oh. so I feel like 
I feel so passionate about making sure that women and other minorities are represented within the research community yeah. so that the guidelines that we're making and the healthcare they're receiving is based on research done on people like them. Um, I, it's getting a lot better. I read a fantastic book called um, Invisible Women um, and it's about the sort of data biases that I just touched on there. But I feel passionate about inc increasing kind of women's particip participation in clinical trials, drug trials, studies like that. Um, so that, as I say, yeah, evidence is based on women's bodies. Yeah. Wow. And really important. I, well, I didn't really know that, to be honest. So that's... I don't think it's well known. I no. think it's not talked about enough. Um, and I think it's important. Like, I was involved in a clinical trial as a, as a subject for, um, for a vaccine for dengue fever. Um, and even that was like an eye-opening experience. And I wouldn't have got involved with it unless someone had told me about it or if I'd been in healthcare. Um, so I think it's really important to make mm. sure that we're represented. Yeah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's only in like recent years um, with autism, I think, mm. that um, the, the telltale signs for autism for females are very different. Mm. They, they didn't know for years. So they, women weren't getting diagnosed yeah. with autism because it was the male traits. Mm. Mm. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. I, you're teaching me something here. I didn't oh, really? actually. Yeah, I didn't actually know that. Yeah. But well, my dad it, works with people with autism. Yeah. So that's how, I think that's how I know. But it doesn't surprise me what you're saying. Like, for example, it, it, it's similar in cardiac disease. So women who are having heart attacks are more likely to have them missed because the signs are more subtle or slightly different. Oh, wow. Like their jaw pain is a bit different or like the, the way they present is slightly different. And again, all of the investigations, probably historically, have been more based yeah. on men. So actually, we need to advocate for women within a research setting and a healthcare setting because it's different. We're not, we're not just like smaller men. <laughs> we're different Completely inherently. Different. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I think it's important. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else like that you feel like passionate about, like for women's health for the future? Yeah, I just not anything specific. I just hope that it's it advances. Yeah, and that we make progress with women's health issues. We make progress with things such as contraception, reproductive rights, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, fertility rights. Yeah. Um, and that also that we understand our menstrual cycles a bit better, not just the sort of one week that we bleed, but the rest of the cycle and how it affects yeah. our bodies with exercise, with our mind, mm. that kind of thing. I think it's really poorly educated in, in schools and in, in, in general. Yeah, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day and they were saying how their kids got told about periods. Mm. And it literally was put a tampon and some water and it was like, expands. Oh, we had that in the glass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I had that in school. Yeah, and it's like, that's not telling you mm. anything. I think we spoke about on the podcast, on like the Empower Hour podcast as well, saying how the boys would be shooed away. Yeah. But no, we all need to have that education not just females absolutely we all need to because otherwise how are men meant to understand what we are going through and how are they meant to know how to support us oh i feel so passionate about that like how in women's rights not just in healthcare but in general how are we expected to make any form of progress if only half of the population are on board or yeah. know about it exactly how is this going to improve if yeah, men are separated. And mm. men want to learn about it. Yeah. Like the men in my life are, want to be educated. They want to know about things. They often already are or want yeah. to know things. 
And I think, yeah, the, the menstrual cycle affects us a lot more than we realize with our training. There's not just the, the bleeding bit, you've got the luteal phase and the follicular phase, which actually your hormones are fluctuating throughout. And I hope that we can work with our hormones. So I don't know these phases. Yeah, exactly. And it, I mean, I think that just typifies it. It's not spoken enough no. about. Um, I think there's lots of, there's resources out there, but it's difficult sometimes to get hold of. Mm. I want things to be easily accessible and easily discussed, I think, with everyone. I think it's like the taboo thing, isn't it? Still, it shouldn't be. Why? It's still. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And to be fair, with the, um, like, that being so taboo, like, it's something in heels and empowerment I try to take away, so... Do you know, like, the typical, like, you're on your period, so, like, you sneak a tampon in, like, you're, like in school, you'd put in your bra. Yeah. So no one would see it, or, like, you'd put it in, like, a pocket and hide it away. Whereas in class, I will be very vocal if, like, I'm like, oh, God, oh, my period pain's a son of a bitch today. Or, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, changing for a tampon every two seconds. Like, and I will talk about, like, those things that, it happens to everyone, so why the hell mm. are we trying to make out that it it shouldn't be like spoken about and it, it's it's a bad thing? Mm. So I think that's something as well. I I do feel passionate about in a in a kind of different way, I guess, like mm. to make it no- normalize what women go through. Yeah, and it, it's okay. Yeah, I think it's great you're doing that. I mean. You should just be able to talk about it easily. We're not in the 18th century anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, come on. We've moved on. Yeah, we've moved on. Like, move with. Yeah. And it is. It's so true. I can relate to everything you were saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is actually mad. And I think, I think yeah, like we said, like, times are changing. But hopefully, like, the next generation will get even more information. And yeah. it, will, it will be better. So when I would love now... If you could talk about your mum a bit more and how she's had such an impact <laughs> on you and like you know me, I, I bloody love your mum. Yeah. And she's an amazing woman. I think she definitely deserves to be spoken about on here now. So yeah, do you wanna talk about your mum? Yeah, I'd love to I could talk about her all day. You'll have to cut me off. Um <laughs> love her to pieces. It's so nice to come and see her. I come home to Cardiff all the time partly to see her. Yeah. Um she's like my female icon like she was the cool mom in school cool she, mom she was the cool mom to be fair she was um a gp so she's way more open like with with me and with all of my girlfriends and stuff like that yeah, so if anyone had a, yeah a lot. if anyone had a problem yeah. they'd be like can i talk to your mom about it or like Aww. or someone would be like oh there's something going on with my period can i speak to your mom about it yeah. i'd be like yeah of course um, and she like gave me sex education at the age of seven when she got pregnant, that kind of thing. Like she's just a cool mom. Yeah. She's just fantastic. Um, she's also the like the strongest woman I know. The girls know she spoke at your event in yes. um, the fantastic ball that you put on. Um, she's been through a lot. She's like bless her. She's got a terminal diagnosis, but she's still li- living life to the full. Yeah. And I think when I've had a tough day or like if something's going on, I'd be like, oh my goodness, it's so much more. Like she's going through so much more. Um, But she's just who I look up to. I Mm. I feel so lucky to have had her in my life. And I'm always of the kind of attitude that the best people are taken first kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Because she's just fantastic. And she also brings me down to earth, which I need. (laughs) Do you know what? That is so funny you say that because she really does bring you down to earth. Knocks me down a peg. I love it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think you 
me and you, we do that with each other anyway. Yeah. Like, we are very much, like, cut the shit mm. with each other. And then we're, like, we'll tell each other straight with things. And I mm. think seeing your mum do that with you to another level. It's hilarious. It's, yeah, it's quite jokes, I'm not going to lie. Oh, like she's it's so cr- funny. Like, I'll go and see her. Like, now and then, you know, I'll have, um, I'll be like, oh, I need to drop something off for you or something. And she's like, oh, yeah, come on, we'll have, we'll have a catch-up and things. I love that you do that. Yeah. It makes me so happy. It's so cute. Do you know what? We haven't had to catch up in a while, so I'll have to drop her a little message. Oh, do. She'd love that. Yeah, she would <laughs> love that. So I might have to go over for a little tea date. Mm. And um, she'll be like, oh, so, Lily, can you talk to her about this? And I'm like, yeah, no problem, boss. <laughs> no you problem. Know? She is the boss. She's the She's the boss. She's the original boss. Like, she fair is. enough. And that's, like, strong women raise strong women. And yeah. I feel so lucky to have had a maternal figure mm. like her in my life. Like, I couldn't have been better. She's my rock. She's my bestie as well. Like, we'll go for, like, rosé and a meal together. I love it. Yeah. She's my bestie. <laughs> I think she just has great, great chat. The best know, chat. Yeah, like, the best chat ever. Like, she... I, I can't even begin, like, to tell you how amazing, like... Lil's mummy, she's just a legend, and to have someone like that in your life as a role model, you are bloody lucky. Absolutely, and if I can be like half the woman slash doctor slash mum she's been, I've, I've smashed it. You're winning. Winning, absolutely. Well, hopefully, <laughs> we'll be able to reflect back on your future mm. together, and if the Empower Hour podcast is still going, we could do that. Oh, it will be, bigger and better than ever. Oh, mm. Living large, mate. Living it large. Oh, well, thank you so, so much, Lil, for coming on today. Is there any final things that you want to say or even like a cute quote or anything to finish off oh you put me on the spot now i don't know if i have a quote for you um but i will just say i'm going to turn it a bit back on you and say how fantastic you are (laughs) no 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 for creating what you've created i don't think that you and i at the back of a ballet class feeling like the bigger girls would have got to what we're both doing today yeah um and i just think your determination your work ethic and your personality is what has got you here thank you and it's just i mean we just love to see it (laughs) that's all i can say we love to see it you're fantastic and i can be apart from you for goodness knows how long come back and it's literally exactly the same yeah i think those kind of friendships when you got a schedule that's so crazy mm. and it's funny because me and Lil we're just as busy but in completely different ways mm. like I'm so like creatively busy and you're so academic busy like it's so mm. strange how worlds apart we are but I think that's what brings us together and Absolutely. I think having a friend having friends who are so different in what career, like upbringing and anything, but you have a common ground, like they're the, the like the best mates you'll ever have because you have something that you can share together. There's nothing more valuable than a female friendship, a true fantastic mm. female friendship. And like, if you found that, then you've smashed life. Yeah. I'm so lucky, you're fantastic. Oh, <laughs> I'm so lucky too. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks bestie. Love you. Love you. <laughs> <laughs>